Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. I don't know about you, but there are plenty of areas in my life where I can at times still, even though I'm, you know, allegedly Mr. Happiness or whatever, still be a little tight and locked up where my head is up my ass and I cannot function at my best. I'm talking about areas such as work or public speaking or writing or social situations. Perhaps nobody is better at helping people unlock themselves than the Buddhist meditation teacher, George Mumford. This is a guy who taught meditation to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. He's also worked with inmates, police officers, and corporate executives. There is a reason why they call him the performance whisperer. George, who is a friend, has an incredible story. He began teaching mindfulness and meditation after kicking a serious drug habit, leaving a career as a financial analyst, and then earning a master's in counseling psychology. He's got a new book, it's called Unlock, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success. His first book was called The Mindful Athlete, Secrets to Pure Performance. If you wanna hear him talk about that book, we've put links in the show notes to his prior appearances on this podcast. But in this conversation, we talked about what he means by unlocking, what it means to be in flow, and why many of us may be achieving that state more than we think how to challenge negative self-talk, the importance of gratitude, the importance of service, the importance of making mistakes. As George says, no struggle, no swag. How to recognize what he calls your hideouts, why he identifies as an empath and why he believes this may have played a role in his addiction, and his take on often misunderstood terms such as love, hope, and faith. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's 
definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Before we jump in, George, any questions or concerns for me? Um, no, I don't have any concerns. Uh, you know, are you happy? Are you enjoying life? That's my only concern. You know, talking to you makes me happy. All right. Okay. Then that works. <laughs> are you happy? Yes, I am, actually. What's the content of your happiness? I'm just excited to talk to you about anything but about the book and the spring. And I'm heading to L.A. tomorrow morning, and and I'm doing what I love to do. And I'm being who I love to be, so what's not to like? I mean, nothing. It sounds perfect. (laughs) It does. Yes. Well, you mentioned the book, so maybe let's start there. Okay. It's called Unlocked. What do you mean by unlocked? So if you think about what was it like during COVID to be locked, locked down? Yeah. You can't go anywhere. If you go out, you got to take precautions and whatever. And then once you're able to go back out, you're actually not locked down or you're unlocked. So what I mean by unlocked is being able to express your your true self, to be in the moment, to be present in the moment without being pulled by desire or fear, but just being able to be, just being able to express yourself. So it's, it's, I guess the word to be unlocked would be to be spontaneous is one way of looking at it. And spontaneity is, you know, one's free will. It's like you're just going with the flow. It's like you have a vehicle that's, let's just say a car, eight cylinders, and you're only operating on two or three. But when you're unlocked, you're operating on all eight cylinders. Everything, your mind, body, heart, and soul are, are aligned. And it's what Sigmund Freud talked about. The whole essence of psychoanalysis was to get people to to love, work, and play at their highest capacity. So when you're unlocked, it's like having that little dimmer switch on your wall turned all the way up so that you're getting the full potential of the light. And it's not something that you're unlocking. You're always unlocking. You know, there's moments of being unlocked. There's moments of not. But to be unlocked it means that to be able to be real, to be yourself, to show up in the moment, fully deployed and fully engaged and enjoy just doing the thing you're doing or just being. So the title of the book is Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success. So you might say that when we embrace our greatness, when we say yes to whatever comes up and we just roll with it, it's like, it's not a problem. It's like being in flow. When you find your flow, it's like you're just going and you're not there, but you're fully engaged. And the only thing that matters is this moment and fully expressing yourself. I think it's important and helpful that you said it's not like for mortals that we're going to live in a perpetual state of unlock because, you know, life is hard. And so there are going to be times when we have our head inserted up our ass and we're stuck in habitual storylines or 
ancient resentments or whatever. And what you're providing us with is tools to continuously and consistently unlock. Am I right as I say this? Yeah, it's actually saying, you know, we got this masterpiece of we have this divinity, this divine spark or whatever it is. And so I would say a caterpillar is unlocked when it becomes a butterfly. And it doesn't become a butterfly without struggle. You can see it in athletic competition. You can see it when you're in flow or when you're, you know, if you're if you're driving, let's say you're in Manhattan and you're driving down block to block. And as you are moving from block to block, there's a green light and you're just flowing. You're not stopping. You're able to just flow. And what I'm talking about is nonlinear, so it's hard to describe. But at the same time, we all have this ability. So you ever have an experience when you felt like what you were intending to do and what you did, you felt like you were fully engaged and feel happy with what happened. It just turned out well, even though you might have had some hiccups or whatever, but you got to do what you did. And afterwards, you realize, man, that was pretty cool. You know, I start to feel guilty every time I talk about flow, either with you, mostly it's with you or some other guests bring it up because I don't know how often I'm actually in flow and I'm Mr. Like meditation guy. Yes. So you're a communicator. And so when you communicate, I've had this experience with you as we talk, we'll be talking and then there's a subject that pulls your attention. You go right there. It's an intuition. It's a knowing. You get what I'm saying? I think I do. This isn't your language, it's more mine, but I really do think of it as like pulling your head out of your ass. Like if you're stuck in your own stories and self-consciousness and doubt, that you can't be spontaneous. You're not actually awake and aware right now. But if you can drop all of that and really listen, I guess I am in flow in these interviews in that I'm listening, hopefully, and and following along with what's happening right now. Yes. And I would say a lot of us are in flow, but we don't know we're in flow. And the one thing about mindfulness or paying attention is when you notice when you're in flow, you're going to find that you're in flow more than you know, because now you you know what the what it looks like, what it feels like, what the experience of it is. And so when you train yourself and then it becomes automatic, becomes spontaneous. And so we have these moments, but we don't know how to sustain it or how to have more of those moments. And what it requires really is being in the moment and getting immediate feedback and making adjustments on the fly. And then at some point you find a rhythm or you find a flow and it's just happening. It's just happening. It just goes. I would say flow is the expression of the creative energy is inside of us. A creativity, there's a wisdom, there's a creativity inside of us that expresses itself when we get out of the way, mm. when we get our head out of our ass, <laughs> as, you, as you say. <laughs> I just want to pick up on something you said. We're in flow more often than we may think, but we're not really aware of it. And I think implied in that, and I think there's some research into this, is that if we can be mindfully aware of when we're in positive states. It can be flow, it can be gratitude, it can be helpfulness, it can be friendliness, it can be calm. If we can have a meta-awareness of it, if we can be aware that this is happening and appreciate that it's happening as it's happening, that we can get better at coming back to it. I think I've heard that that's maybe in one of the nearly 600 episodes we've done, somebody has said that to me. And Am I making this up? No, you're, you're right. Noticing it, it grows in your consciousness and your awareness and you become more 
tuned into it. So if we just talk about a practice like gratitude practice, and Sean Accord talks about this in his happiness advantage and one of the resource habits is every 24 hours, write down three new things to be grateful for. So what happens when we do that, we actually create the automaticity of noticing what to be grateful for. You're actually programming yourself so it happens automatically. And so I would say that when we train and we do something and it's through the error correction, it's through the struggle that our consciousness can pick up patterns unconsciously. And then all of a sudden you get access to that intuition or that knowing that's inside of us when we can just be still and know, like they say in the Bible, there's something about having this attitude of being alert and relaxed and just allowing things to happen instead of making things happen. But it takes a certain amount of faith and confidence to do that because what we're really talking about is each unknown unfolding moment happening and us not knowing what the hell is going to happen next. Not knowing, but if we can train ourselves to embrace it, say yes to it, generate the hope, and then we start discovering things and we start to see things. And inside meditation, we talk about the five hindrances. Let's just talk about ill will or greed. Why are they hindrances? Because they hinder our ability to be present and to see clearly. And so when we're unlocked, you see clearly, then your action is going to be clear. And it's coming from a place inside of you, or what I call a masterpiece or this divine spark. There's a inner wisdom inside that when we can get out of the way and just allow it to express itself, that creativity comes up. We just know things. And I know you've had experiences of creativity where you're struggling with something and then you see, oh, here's a way out. And then you realize, oh, that's better than it would have been if I didn't have that struggle. And so I talk about the caterpillar is something about being a caterpillar and being in that chrysalis and breaking out, chipping our way out of it. And as we chip our way out of it, even though it's a struggle, we develop the strength to fly. So I would say when being unlocked is our ability to embrace whatever comes up and say yes to it, generate the hope and make decisions where we're able to express our uniqueness or let that creative energy flow out of us. And that's how we discover things. And we live in that creativity, the joy of discovery, because we're just present and there's no hindrances, you know, central desire. I want this really badly or, or ill will. I'm just averse to everything. I'm pulling back. I'm either approaching or avoiding or spacing out. But some of that is programmed on how we train ourselves. So we know certain things. Like we know when, if we're in a conversation, if we can listen more than speak, we can listen with an open mind without judging it, without pushing things away, pulling them towards us, but to let the thing speak in its own language. There's a stitching together of understanding. We develop wisdom by seeing clearly and then understanding how things work. So you, uh, like a simple one would be, you know, gravity, you know, if you jump up, you're going to come down. You don't have to believe in gravity, but if you know that, and then if you align yourself with how gravity works, then you can use it to your advantage. And so I say when we're unlocked, we're able to see clearly, we're able to be present, and we're able to figure stuff out. Even though we're struggling, we make mistakes, but we're not judging ourselves. We're just noticing it and then learning and practicing what we need to learn and practice so that we have the execution that we want, or we're able to do what we intend to do. 
but the struggle is really important. I find that reassuring that the struggle is important because I do a lot of struggling and it makes me feel better. Like I can feel with writing, for example, we all have our own different struggles in our lives. For me, writing is one of the big ones. I can sometimes get down on myself for the fact that writing sucks and I'm not in some blissful state of flow all the time, or rarely actually, but the struggle is what allows for these moments of breakthrough. If I'm understanding you correctly, I need to go through the struggle and then I get a moment of clarity and that's a beautiful paragraph. That's the result of seven days of hell. Yes. And you might notice that how did you get there? At some point you were able to let go to grow or you were able to just say, okay, this is what it is. And by saying yes to it, then you're able to do something about it. I think I, I might've talked to you about the four A's in one of our conversations, but I talk about the four A's, this ability to let things speak to us, the awareness. So you have to be awareness that mirror mind, it just reflects what's in front of us. And the second A is the acceptance. And that's the challenging one to accept. Yes. You know, I don't like this <laughs> to accept it, say, or, or, you know, or you, you accept it. Yes. I have to admit that this is what's happening. I got to embrace, say, yes, that this is what's happening. I don't want it to happen. I hate it because there's aversion, there's anger, there's frustration. But if we can just say yes to accept it, and of course, some of us, the acceptance could be like the griefing process where, you know, you go through all of those five stages, you know, bargaining and denial, the anger, the depression, the acceptance. You go through that. But if once we say yes to it, embrace it, then we can work with it. And then by accepting it, then we can do the compassionate action. And then there's the assessment. So me growing up the way I did and whatever, I would say, I don't get stressed out. I'm too cool to get stressed out. So there's the awareness that there's something going on, but then the acceptance of, okay, maybe I don't think I'm stressed out, but there's something inside of me says, yeah, there's stress in here, dude, because your shoulders are up around your ears. So once I said, okay, well, why don't I assume that's right? Once I embrace it, yeah, maybe I'm stressed even though I don't get stressed. Now I can work with it. Now I can do compassionate action. How do I relate to my stress so that I can get ease or I can work through it? And that's what I mean. So it could be substance abuse or some kind of addiction. There's awareness of it, but because we don't accept it, we're not seeing it. But once we say, yes, I have a problem and you embrace it, and even you accept it, even though it's painful, then you can do something about it. And then once you can do something about it, it's about the choices we make, creating space between stimulus and response so that within that choice, we can choose wisely based on our values, based on our goal, based on whatever it is we say we want to do and who we say we want to be. And by making that choice, then we get there. Yeah, okay, so that that paragraph sucks. I don't like it. I don't like the way it feels. Yeah, but you want to get through with it. You want to get done with it. So unless you embrace it and say, yes, this is why I'm suffering because I know it, it's not what I want. I'm not expressing myself the way I want to. It doesn't feel right. But by saying yes to that, by accepting that, then you can keep changing what you're doing or how you're writing until you get to a place where it feels right. So it might take a fortnight. It might take, I don't know, but are we willing to, to put the effort in so that that we're going to do it until we can do it? So then, then you can assess, okay, so how did I do that? I was in flow for that like 30 seconds or whatever. So the assessment part is, so how do I replicate that? And you start understanding 
you know, what you did and and what the essential aspects of it is. And that's a big part of mindfulness and wisdom working together to collect data or to get collect intelligence to actually understand what the essence is and how how did that happen? Ask the how questions. And then we start to understand, oh, this is how this works. When the hindrances are in abeyance and I'm just fully present and, you know, I'm seeing clearly and I'm in the moment. That's beautiful. How did I do that? How do I sustain that? And and that's what it's about. But can you sustain it, you know, 24-7? Probably not because things are changing. But you can have more moments where the fear is not controlling us, controlling what we see, uh, how we feel, and our performance, what, what we're able to do. And so once we understand that, then we can do something about it. So it's really coming from this space of starting off with embracing the greatness that we have this capacity to access wisdom and creativity that will allow us to overcome these these obstacles. We can look at things as uh, stepping stones rather than a roadblock. And it is by stepping over that that we get to another level and getting to that level, now we're having more of an ability to be unlocked around that situation. And then as we start to do that, we start to see that there's this masterpiece. We just have to, like the crystallis, the caterpillar, we have to chip away. We have to get rid of these hideouts that prevent us from being unlocked. And once we get out of the hideout, then we're able to express more of that creativity, uh, that masterpiece. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you get more personal in this book than you've ever gotten before. And you talk about your own hideouts. Would you be willing to describe what a hideout is and how that phenomenon has played out in your life? So a hideout would be not embracing what is and saying yes to it and being able to do things about it. So we hide out by denial. And I say for me, like, I don't know about you, but things are changing so fast. It's like, okay, so if you have an iPhone and all of a sudden they do an upgrade, you know, the configuration is totally different and you're used to the other configuration and you don't like this one. So a hideout would be, well, I'm not going to use that phone or I'm going to just not learn the new system. And so instead of bringing more energy, more intelligence to understand what is this and how do I adapt to this new thing, we play the blame game or we might rationalize that it's not that important. Maybe I'll just use my computer instead of using my iPhone. And so I hide out when I'm not able to say yes to whatever comes up, that life is about learning. So if I'm in survival mode, you know, I'm in fight, flight, or freeze, then I'm locked up. But when I can get into the love mode, the rest and the digest, then even though I'm making mistakes, even though things are not happening the way I want them to happen, but because I'm in growth mode, I'm looking at, okay, what's the lesson here? And what do I need to learn? I feel like I'm on the most exciting adventure I could be on is the adventure of getting to know myself better and getting to know how I tend to hide out, how I tend to withdraw energy instead of bringing energy in, how I shut down rather than staying open to see the way forward to actually say, okay, what's the lesson here? How do I learn how to do this? Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm curious how it's played out in your life beyond the iPhone. Yeah. So, okay. For this book, I always said, oh yeah, I want to do my own audio book on it. And then when I got a little resistance, like, you know, somebody was saying, well, you know, it's so challenging, whatever. And so I said, okay, so it doesn't matter. You know, I made peace. I won't do the audio book. 
And then my agent was very persistent and he wanted me to do it. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. And when I got in that studio, you probably know what this is like. It was a struggle. Like I couldn't even breathe. I was resisting. So I was hiding out by just going along or not asking for what I really wanted. I really wanted to do the audio book, but when I got a little resistance, I just backed off. And so when I went in there and it was a struggle, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I haven't really been challenged like this in a long time, but then the second day was better. And then, then I had to practice what I preached. I had to just grace what was going on, making mistakes, whatever it was. But once I accepted it and then just kept error correcting and not quitting. And even though it's a part of me looking at my clock, when are we going to be done? It was this idea of having people around me that would kind of nudge me. It took me 20 years to write a book. I was hiding out for 20 years. So in this other areas of my life that I hide out, I'm not ready for it, or I'm just hiding out because it's comfortable where I am. I know that one side of the coin is freedom. The other side is uncertainty, anxiety. It could be in work, love, and play, but it's really this idea that, yeah, it's not easy to embrace your greatness because it's painful and we see how much we have aversion to it. So writing this book about unlocking helps me to unlock when I'm doing the audio book. That make any sense? Yeah, it does. You said something there about how it's hard to embrace your greatness. I mean, at least superficially, it would seem like it'd be awesome to embrace your greatness. It does. But here's the thing. I work with a lot of elite athletes, and I can't tell you how many times people get to that level of getting over the hump and they withdraw because there's a certain level of anxiety exposure that you're going to have, vulnerability that happens when you embrace it because there's going to be some people who are going to be upset because you're in a canoe with other people. And when you move, everybody else has to move. When you change, the relationship changes. And so there's a part of us that knows, even you can see it when you make decisions. Sometimes I make a decision not to do something because I want to do something else. And there's somebody that's upset about that, that thinks that I shouldn't have done that because it's uncomfortable. So now I got to deal with that blowback. So people think that when you reach your goal, that there's no downside to that. Well, the downside to that is maybe you can't hang out with the people you used to hang out with, or maybe you know better and they feel abandoned because you're doing things and and they're not going to go with you as you move to the next thing that your life is calling you to go to when you go on your hero's journey. There's going to be somebody that's going to be upset with that. And that that's, if you're sensitive like me, then, you know, you're trying not to make people feel bad or you take responsibility for people. That was how I hit out. Take responsibility for people by trying to control how they feel. Yeah, you describe yourself as an empath. Yes, yes. And so what do I do with that? As a little boy, I saw that. I see the one on the street. Everybody walks by him. I'm devastated. Somebody moves from the block. I'm devastated. And they only moved away, you know, and, and you know, they're walking just like go visit them. But there was this feeling of loss because I didn't know what to do with that sensitivity. So I shut it down. That's how I hit out. Does that make sense? Do you think that played into your later struggles with addiction? Oh, no, no question. No question about it. That was another way for me to hide out and to be somebody else, but not to deal with that pain of just seeing it and not knowing that, yeah, there's suffering, but how can I? look at it in a way where it allows me to embrace my greatness. In other words, 
I can use that same ability to feel somebody's feelings and to help. The, and, and instead of feeling aversion to it, to embrace it and say, okay, so how can I be a service? How can I help them? And so I can take that same empathy and then use it to help people and help myself. So I had to just, instead of focusing on them, I had to focus on me first. And then once I focus on me, then I can help them. Coming up, George Mumford talks about bringing out your inner masterpiece and the role of service, faith, and love in his life. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs, and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. It's spring, and that means it's graduation season, and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&Ms. Uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. Another thing you say in the book is the only way to keep what you've got is to share it. Yes, yes. And and it's powerful because what I discover is the more I share it, the more it gets ingrained in my awareness, my consciousness, so that it grows. In other words, the more I share it, the more I have, because all that I give is, is given to myself. It comes back to me. So if I give love, I get love. If I give grief, I get grief. And so when I share my experience, strength and hope, it comes back to me and then somebody else takes that and then they do that. And then that comes back to me as well. It's like uh, they, they call the laws of reciprocity. They have many names for it. But it's like, once again, I think about this way, Dan. There's a practice, you know, mudita or appreciative joy. And so you appreciate someone when they do something. And it's an antidote from jealousy and envy. What I learned from my own experience of mudita is it's easy to be in joy for somebody you like, but it's challenging to be enjoy when your team just got beat by another team. But what I recognized was by B 
be in enjoy with others, even though they're not somebody we like or they might not even be part of our tribe. What that ha- what happens in that is by being in joy, I have more experiences of joy. And so just think about it. Anytime somebody has a good turn or has some experience in happiness, may you have more m- moments of happiness. May you have more joy. May you meet with more success because through your effort, you were able to get that result. And so I'm getting these little ways of unlocking even more by noticing that it's easy for me to, oh, my team won, I'm happy. My team lost, I'm depressed. Well, I could be sad that my team lost, but I could focus on the other team. And instead of being depressed, I could have some vicarious joy. Or I'm actually minimizing my negative emotions as well as my my envy and my jealousy. Because the envy and jealousy keep us locked up just like COVID keeps us locked down. But if we have those positive emotions, then we have what they call the broaden and build theory is that our cognitive functioning is enhanced and we're able to be in joy or to be at ease or to be in a positive mind state, which in Buddhism, we would talk about having right view. Man, I know you, you're often slotted in the public consciousness into the category of performance. And, you know, you've been called the performance whisperer, worked with all these incredible people. But when I hear you talk, you just mentioned the Dharma or Buddhism, but that's what I hear when I hear you talk, that the how, the practicality, as I understand it, when you talk about getting unlocked and success and greatness, the how of that is training your mind through meditation and bringing the Dharma into your life so that you're creating as many positive mind states as possible and these become mental muscles you can build over time and that's how you bring out what you call the inner masterpiece. Do I have that right? Yes, you you do have that right. It's interesting because when we talk about mindfulness and insight meditation, the way the teachings of the Buddha, so there's threefold training. It's really wisdom, integrity, and mental discipline. And so a lot of people talk about mindfulness and, and meditation as just a mental discipline. You know, that would be like right effort, right concentration, and right mindfulness. But it has to be grounded in wisdom, which, you know, sometimes we talk about it as right view and right intention, or right thinking. And that the integrity piece, the non-harming, the right speech, right action, right livelihood, that cultivates our ability to be more present. And so when I talk about performance, to perform, you want to be present. You want to express yourself in a way where you feel like you were being yourself, you were being sincere, you were being authentic. And so it's developing this wisdom moment to moment, really just being able to collect intel or to see how things work and to realize that if I align myself with with how things work, then I'm probably going to have a good experience. But at the same time, my integrity, my relationship to myself and others, instead of uh, ill will, goodwill, you know, using, like I talk about joy, compassion, loving kindness, equanimity, uh, or it's another way of saying just, just being present without judging and just being fully engaged in what you're doing or who you're with. That you're right, all of those things, it's all about how I manage this moment, how I cultivate this ability to say yes to whatever comes up and generate the hope and see that that's where the opportunity to learn and to evolve and to express myself in a way 
that, you know, it's alleviating suffering. So I'd say service is a big part of that, not just for myself, but for, for all beings or for the greatest good, for the highest good. And so that's how I see it. So we have to develop those things. So yes, that's what I'm doing, but I'm doing it with real language and day-to-day, making it accessible, practical, because that's how you get access to that divinity, that Buddha consciousness, that Christ consciousness, divine spark, the masterpiece being unlocked. Because that's there. So how do we unlock it like the crystallis? And that's what the book is about, how to unlock and how to be yourself. Because the only person you could be is yourself, or I'll talk for myself. The only person I could be is myself. And the only time I have is now. And all I really need is love. That's an interesting phrase. All I really need is love. I mean, it reminds me of the Beatles. Is it possible for that phrase to be rendered into an empty cliche? And what do you mean by it? Yes, of course. Words without actions don't mean anything. To know and not to do is not to know. Uh, What it means for me when I talk about love, that means openness, uh, getting beyond the illusion of separateness. When you love something, you help it grow. And so Eric Fromm talked about in his book, The Art of Loving, he talked about four aspects of that. He talked about self-love, responding to my needs, caring, you know, care for myself and respect, respecting who I am as I am, not trying to be Dan, but but allowing myself to be authentically myself, to be sincere about how I feel and, and what my deepest desires are. And the last thing is to know myself. I have to know how to care for myself. I have to know when I'm not respecting who I am. I need to know when I'm not responding to my needs. It's not a feeling. It's more like activity. So when you love something, you make it grow. You work to make it grow. So you labor for what you love and you love what you labor for. So when I talk about love, I'm talking about for the greatest good, you know, getting beyond that illusion of separateness and realizing that we all suffer and how to help people embrace that or alleviate the suffering and that things are impermanent, they're always changing. So that energy of love uh, or being in love mode, I'm able to learn the lessons and to not withdraw energy, but to bring more energy into it or to be willing to investigate, to explore and let the wisdom, that's that's the ultimate stress reducer is wisdom, knowing how things work and aligning ourselves with that so that we are based on what is, not on what we want to be or what was. But everything I'm saying could be empty unless your heart, mind, and soul, and body are engaged in acting as if it's true or choosing to say yes to everything and to bring your best mind and your best ability to make wise choices or choices that are conducive to peace, understanding, love, compassion, kindness. In the book, you talk about working with prisoners, including double lifers. Basically, they got two life sentences is what I understand. How do they react when you start saying things like all I need is love or kindness and compassion? You know, how does it go down with them? Well, they they get it because they're beyond the now. <laughs> They've been in there for a while and they know the quality of their life is going to be predicated on the quality of their mind. And so what else did they have? They could have they could do time or have the time do them. And so they would thank me just for coming in there. And I could talk to them. It didn't matter if I mentioned the Buddha or Christ or anything. They were open to it because there was an acceptance that they can lose their liberty, but their freedom is dependent on how they develop their mind and how they relate to their experience. But here's the thing. It's challenging for me to go back what I did 25 years ago 
uh, because how I would talk to them was predicated on being aware of what was there, meeting them where they were, and being guided by mindfulness and the wisdom of just letting things speak to me. And then out of that creativity, out of that potential inside of me. So most of this is like, I'm figuring this out as I go along, especially back then, because I didn't know what to expect. So my job was to just be aware and then accept what was there and then do the compassionate action, providing I can create space between stimulus and response. So now, you know, it's being spontaneous or just letting the wisdom and the mindfulness dictate what I do, but it's grounded in my caring, my responding to their needs, spoken or unspoken, respecting who they are, not trying to make them somebody else, but the knowledge, the knowing, the being able to see clearly, to be able to be in the present and to be able to experience them as they were or as anyone is. So I learned early on, I was going working in another prison and it was one of my first classes. And so I had these copious notes of how I was going to deliver this Dharma talk or this sermon to them. And I go into the prison and I think there's like, I don't know exactly the numbers, but let's say there's 30 inmates and 28 of them were Spanish speaking only. <laughs> so, so and I had an interpreter. So, okay. So those notes. Okay. So I just had to be here and how do I communicate with them and how do I keep this simple? And that's what I'm talking about, that creative energy or that embracing it instead of saying, I can't do this and sit there and be quiet, but to just say, no, okay. So I just need to talk to them and give them the basic fundamentals so I can't be so esoteric in my interpretations, but just down to earth, meeting them where they are and just talking about this simple thing of being present and being in your body. So that's what I mean. I can reflect back and say, well, yeah, because we, we learned from reflecting on our experience, but in the moment, my best thing was to be present and see what happened and to see what wisdom can come out of that silence, that not knowing. I noticed this when I was a morning television anchor. You know, at first I was just awful at it, just so stuck in my own head and planning out my little quips from moment to moment, which always landed flat if I had planned them. And over time, I had this, I guess, confidence, maybe even faith is a better word, that if I just drop all my plans and am right there spontaneously reacting in the moment to whatever my co-anchors were saying in these live, no-net situations that I would have access to the right quip or the right segue or the right question for people. And that came to mind as you were talking about being in front of 30 inmates, 28 of whom didn't even speak the only language you know how to speak. Yes, but that's that's being in flow, Dan. That's what I was saying. You've been in flow a lot of times. You didn't even know it. But how did that happen? And that's the question you ask yourself. And I think it has to do with knowing what works, what doesn't work, and then realizing that, you know, I just have to be myself and I have to allow things to happen instead of trying to make things happen. Now, it's interesting. I talked to people. I was talking to a young man today. He was cutting my hair. And what I discovered is and what young folks tell me is I, I give what their experience the language. And when I talk to them in a way of unfolding or these principles we're talking about, then they realize, oh, I already had that. Oh, yeah, I've been in flow. But that's telling you something that how you related to a situation where you were trying too hard or you, or you were coming from self-centered fear 
to having this ability to let go. And where did the confidence come from? The confidence comes from not quitting and making the right effort and figuring stuff out. I did a, a one of my uh, six-week study groups on faith. Faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And so when you have faith, it's not holding on anything. It's like a complete acceptance of your greatness and that things are going to turn out well. I don't know how they're going to turn out, but it's going to be okay, maybe better than okay, because I'm in a positive mind state. I'm not letting one of those hindrances hinder my ability to be present and to see clearly. So when even if you're in the don't know mind or beginner's mind, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm just going to see what happens and then then let all my training express itself at the time it's supposed to express itself because I'm not trying to make things happen. I'm allowing things to happen. Does that make any sense? Yes. It's just, it's a leap of faith to allow things to happen. Yes. And when you allow things to happen and they turn out well, then that faith grows. And that's part of the process. I talk about it in my, my other book, The Mindful Athlete, A Secret of Pure Performance. One of the superpowers is faith. And it grows when we have confidence and we do things and we learn from our mistakes. You know, without failure, there would be no success. So this ability to embrace our errors and to learn from them is huge. The struggle. I say no struggle, no swag. I got swag, but I earned it. (laughs) And you have to keep earning it because, I mean, I'm 51. I've had some successes in my life, but if I want to have any more, I'm going to have to continue to climb back into the chrysalis. Yes, that's true. But here's a, a way to unlock, actually. The nervous system doesn't know the difference between what we experience and what we think about. And I usually talk about this image of me being in front of an old-fashioned blackboard, and I take my fingers, and I use my fingernails, you know, I scratch the blackboard, and people shudder, and it's like there's no blackboard there, but the imagery of it creates the experience of it. And so when we make a mistake and we keep reflecting on the mistake and how awful it was and how we're a bad person whatnot, we're creating that. Our nervous system's going through that. So now if you switch that around and you focus on your past successes and you reflect on it and you keep playing them over in your mind, then that grows. Now you're creating this mindset that allows you to have better cognitive functioning and you actually have more faith. Let me go back to love for a second. This whole notion of love being all you need. How scalable is that notion? I mean, could you have that attitude if you were president of the United States in a dangerous world with other superpowers trying to potentially topple your government or whatever? Uh, that would be the challenge. And the most important question we have to ask is whether the universe is friendly or unfriendly. If it's unfriendly, then we use all our resources to deny, destroy, that's war, or to remove the threat. But if we see the universe as neither friendly or unfriendly, then it doesn't matter what we do. But if we see the world as friendly, then our task is to align ourselves with how things work. So you got to have an open mind or open heart to be able to solve issues and to be able to see things and to learn from them. And I go back to the Cherokee grandfather talking to his grandson and saying that he had this ferocious battle between two wolves inside of him. One would call fear, the other one would call love. 
And the grandson became concerned and said, grandfather, which wolf will win? And the grandfather said, the one that I feed. So let's learn from it. And how do we relate? And I'm not polyandrous because I'm not going to let somebody smack me and turn my cheek. I'm either going to put my hand up to block it or move out of the way. But what I'm saying is if you have an open mind and an open heart, you'll be able to respond to what happens rather than react. So your response will be measured and it will be in alignment of who you say you are and what you say you want to do. That's why when I say all you need is love, what I'm talking about is saying yes to life, but also understanding we're all connected, but you got to see clearly and with love. How can you be so confident that the universe is friendly? I mean, given the reality of inequality, violence, bigotry, competition, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there seems to be plenty of countermanding evidence. Yeah. I mean, I I was on the other side of railroad tracks and seen a lot of nasty parts of life of being a drug addict and and whatnot. And all I know is that I was able to transform in spite of all of the adversity, in spite of being an African-American man who could be driving his car and get a DWB. You know what a DWB is? Driving while black, yes. There you go. And all of that stuff, all this stuff that's happening now, and that's been happening even way worse when I was growing up. So it's all you can do is, is do you, as the Bible says, live in the world, not of the world. So it's like seeing, yeah, I'm seeing clearly. I'm not naive. But if I'm feeding a love wolf, I have a better chance of being able to respond in ways that's going to create less suffering. Doesn't mean it won't be suffering because suffering is the first noble truth. It's going to be suffering. There's going to be people who are out of their mind and that are violent and doing nasty, bad things or, you know, hiding out through drugs or, or, you know, any of the addictions or just being in hate. All I know is when you're in the negative state, it leads to more suffering, even though short term, you might feel like you're doing something. But what you give comes back to you. Let me see if I can restate some of this. I'm ad-libbing here, so I I might mess this up. But I think what I'm hearing you say is, yes, the universe can be, or at least the world can be pretty hostile. That is because people have had lots of adverse stuff happen in their lives prior to this moment, and that has put them into a situation where their fear wolf or their capacity for hatred is, has the steering wheel. And you don't have to judge them per se. You don't have to hate them back. That's not going to help. You can defend yourself, protect your interests, protect people you love, do your best to compete, but you don't have to dehumanize them, otherize them, hate them in the process because that actually just weakens your abilities. Yes. What I'm saying is there's a lawfulness to the universe. So if you align yourself with how things work, like I said, gravity, if you know gravity works a certain way, then you behave according to how it is. And so when you align yourself with love, with divinity, you're going to have a divine experience or you're going to suffer less than you would otherwise. So it's like the nervous system is programmed to, if it's pleasant, approach. If it's unpleasant, avoid. And if it's neither pleasant or unpleasant and not equanimous, then it's spacing out. It's not personal. That's just the way it is. And so how to train ourselves to stay in the center, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, and not to space out, but to be present and to be equanimous, being eye of the hurricane, as I would say, that's huge. Is it possible that all of this stuff 
this equanimity you were talking about, this capacity for compassion could be to many people simply academic if they don't actually practice on the cushion as a meditator? Yes. So the cushion is one part of it, but all day long, you know, how they're thinking, how they're relating to and love, work and play, because you can meditate and do all that stuff, but then you have to be it, you know, so those qualities of the heart, that you have to be compassionate, be loving, be kind. And so it's threefold. It's not just action or just training the mind, but also in behavior, you know, goodwill instead of ill will, cultivating states of, you know, the heart. So the heart is open and loving or at least tolerant. And then the wisdom to see what's working and what's not working, to see if I have on the love glasses, then then I see things a certain way. If I have on the fear glasses, I'm probably going to be in fight, flight or freeze. Coming up, George talks about the connection between generating hope, having optimism and achieving our goals, what the negative committee is and using uncertainty and anxiety as opportunities to challenge our habit, the habit many of us have of negative self-talk. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. There's a phrase you've used repeatedly in this conversation. You keep using it and I'm only now asking you about it, but I'm curious. Generate the hope. You've said that over and over and over again. What does that mean specifically? So when you're in the optimistic, when you're in the right view or you're in a wholesome mind state, 
then your cognitive functioning is going to be enhanced. In other words, you'll be able to see like when you're in fear, you have tunnel vision. So let's say you're stuck on channel five or seven and it's like 400 channels or a thousand channels. So when you generate the whole, there's a willingness to, to not get stuck on one channel and to be open to seeing uh, outside of the box what the solution is or what it is you want to achieve. So when you generate the hope, then you're more apt to stick with it and to be able to see clearly, to be present. And so I talk about this, I call it the HOF, Hall of Fame, hope, optimism, and faith. That's how you get to the Hall of Fame. But you got to do the work and you got to have some talent. But without hope, optimism, and faith, when soon as adversity comes, soon as you hit a roadblock, you're going to quit. So I'm speaking from my experience, not from the book or what people say on the theory. This is my experience with working with elite performers as well as myself, is that you got to do that. You got to say yes to life and you got to generate the hope because otherwise uh, you're not going to learn the lesson. You're not going to bring the energy you need to achieve what you need to achieve. Yeah, but without hope, without actually believing that it is possible you could achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve, why would you try to achieve anything? That's the whole point. Why make that? You won't make the effort unless you have faith. <laughs> if you don't make the effort, you're not going to get the result. And so this is exactly what they're talking about. Faith without works is dead. So you got to have the hope, but then you got to, some people say they use hope, like, okay, you hope, but you don't do the effort. I'm talking about having the hope, having the optimism, having the faith. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it's actually right on time for me because one of the most difficult psychodynamics in my life is my relationship to writing, which I've talked about before. I'm in year five on writing this book. And, you know, I keep having to drag my ass back to the computer to do this thing. And that involves no shortage of hope. I, I guess I wouldn't have used that word, but I see it now that is apropos. And even today I was in this uh, depressed mode. There's lots of valleys, you know, as, as an author, but there are lots of valleys in this process. And this latest valley I was in was because the publisher of my first book, 10% Happier, asked me recently to write a preface for the upcoming 10th anniversary. I can't believe we're almost 10 years into this thing of the book. And so I was going back and rereading the book. I haven't read the book in, I don't know, nine years. I, I've, I, haven't, I haven't read my own book since probably since it came out. And I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, it's actually pretty good. And then I went into a mode of like, oh, well, this new book I'm writing, it's not going to be as good as this. And I started to get really depressed. But actually, the right lens would have been to see it as a challenge. Oh, okay, I'm being reminded that I worked five years on this previous book and it worked out okay. And yes, the current state of the next book is not as good, but that doesn't mean it'll never get there. I should just view this as a challenge. Yes, yeah, view it as a challenge and to see it as, you know, what you said is an opinion about it's not going to be as good. But the last time I checked, you don't have a 1-800-psychic hotline. And even if, let's just say, even if it isn't, but you can look and say, I did the best I could with where I am and what I have now. That's a winner. Not trying to replicate what happened in the past or what might happen in the future, but showing up and doing your best in the moment, moment by moment, and trusting that this is going to be an awesome book, an awesome process, and you're going to be able to express yourself more clearly and more passionately. 
I'm just saying. So if that's your dialogue, what do you think is going to happen? It'll be a terrible book. Okay, so <laughs> which which Dan is saying that? I'm just messing with you. <laughs> what, yeah, I know you're messing with me, <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I'm also saying, you know, yes, uh, I'm saying, but you you get my drift. It's the self talk that is actually having an impact on our ability to have confidence or not. Because I can't tell you. I mean, I just went through writing a book and doing the doing the audio book, and the negative committee was live, and I had to just say, man, I'm not trying to hear that. Here's what I'm focused on. And it's helpful when I'm reading my book. And my book is all about unlocking. And how do you unlock when you're feeling insecure or you're feeling anxious or there's an uncertainty involved here where you don't know how this is going to go. But right now, it looks like it's not going to be as good as it was before. And, And those are opportunities to actually challenge that voice and to change it so that you can get access to that masterpiece within. When we get really challenged, that's when our, the, our latent abilities express themselves. No struggle, no swag. This has been awesome. It's always awesome to talk to you, whether we're in person or doing a, a remote podcast interview. Can you just remind everybody of the name of your new book and any other resources you've put out into the world that you want people to know about? Yes. Yeah, thank you for that. So the name of my book is Unlocked. Embrace your greatness, find the flow, discover success. And it's produced by Hopper Ones. And you can pre-order it actually now. And you can also go to my website, georgemumford.com, and have access to all of the teachings and offerings we have. I also have a YouTube channel that I do, what I call being at home with George. And I usually do that once a week. But the website is a great place to go to check all that stuff out. And yeah, I just really appreciate being with my buddy, Dan. You know, I think of him as a really good buddy and a friend. And he challenges me because he asks questions that actually brings the best out of me. So I want to say thank you, Dan, for this opportunity and 10% happier. Thank you. I think of you as a buddy and a friend, and I feel lucky to have you as one. Thanks again to George Mumford. Always great to talk to my friend, George. Thank you as well to everybody who listens to this show. Very grateful for your ears. If you've got a second, go give us a rating or a review. That really helps. And thanks most of all to everybody who works so hard on the show. 10% Happier is produced by Gabrielle Zuckerman, DJ Kashmir, Justine Davey, Lauren Smith, and Tara Anderson. Our supervising producer is Marissa Schneiderman, and Kimmy Regler is our managing producer. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio, and Nick Thorburn of the great band Islands wrote our theme. We'll see you all on Friday for a bonus. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest. 
and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.